0: In Acts chapter 12, verse 5, Peter was in in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. These people weren't sleeping. They weren't eating. They were fervently praying for Peter's safety. That's the fervently Peter's talking about in the love that we're to have for our brethren. Only those that have been purified by the blood of Christ can fervently love like this. So it's no surprise that the world doesn't have that capacity to fervently love. The world has a love of convenience. When it's convenient, the world loves. But if it's not convenient, the world doesn't. This is not to be the love we have. The love we have is a fervent love. It is without boundaries to the very limit. Love why verse 23 because for you have been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and abiding word of God why do we love because he first loved us we we have no corner on the market for any of this stuff you know we we can't love without his love first but because he did we're expected to we're encouraged to. We need to. We have a need to love our brothers and sisters. And they have a need to be loved. What a perfect situation to be in. Right? Does it get any better than that? We need to love them because we have it brimming out of us. We can't not be that way. Because, he tells us right here, because we're born again of imperishable seed. We cannot want to love. If you are born anew of the imperishable seed of Jesus Christ, you can't not have love to share. If you're waning in that area, it's a great opportunity for you to get back to the foot of the cross and desire that relationship with God to help purify you so that you can love, right? Do you see the cycle here? If we're His, we need to, because we have the imperishable seed in us. We can't not. Our, our DNA, our nature is no longer the same when the Spirit indwells us. We are different people. That's why it's the concept of being born again, being born anew, you get a second chance. You're not the way you were in the flesh with the lust of the flesh consuming you. You are now here. You're set apart. You're set aside. And you're brimming with fervent love for your brother. And if you're not exuding it, you're going crazy. But you'll go crazy lots of different fashions and ways. But recognize that's a need of ours because of what we have and who we are. We need to be looking for that. There's plenty of places to give the love. Because there's a lot of people who need it. We want to do that. Romans 10.7 tells us that, that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. We know that what we have comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uses the Word to teach us. That's why we get up here and study from the Bible. If if the Word wasn't important, if the Spirit was all that one needed as a believer, we wouldn't get up here and teach from the Word. What profit would there be? We would do other things. However, we sometimes, I think, have a tendency to lean towards the, the critical nature of the Word and forget that the Spirit has to indwell us as well, and that we need both. The living and abiding Word, that's what, I love that concept, the living Word of Christ. You know, too many people take the Bible and they say, that was great when it was written. That was useful during that time. You know, it was really good of Peter in between 60 and 64 AD to put this down for those folks because they needed this stuff. But it's not so good for us anymore. It's not so necessary. We have other things. We have the Internet. That's probably got more information than the Bible will ever have in it. We have all sorts of stuff going on out there. We really don't need this. And it's kind of archaic and out of date. So, so really, there's too many these and thous and other words and things in there. So it's not so useful. But it's not that case. It's the living word. It's the abiding word. It, that means it's good for all times. There will never be a time when the Bible isn't useful, profitable, and valuable for us. And then he gives us a perspective as we move on in verse 24. And he draws back to the Old Testament into Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. And he comes back to that and he's giving us an example of the difference between what we often are like and what the Word of God is like. And he says, and he's quoting Isaiah, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord abides forever. So what about grass flowering? How many of you have ever seen a grass flower? A couple. How many of you have seen a flower? This is to see if you have any energy left in your muscles. It's astounding to me that only about 20% of our body has ever seen a flower. I'll remember to bring one next Sunday just to show you. I harass the students in the vet school all the time as well. You have muscles in your shoulders. Raise your arms. It's okay. Oh, we've all seen flowers, I'm guessing. And and they're big, beautiful to very small. But the grass flower is a gorgeous flower. It really is beautiful. And grass flowers come in a thousand different varieties, because there's lots of different varieties of grass. But most of you will have never seen them. So I threw in a picture. Can we go to the next oh go back to the first slide. There you go. That's a picture. Russian wild rye grass. And that is a grass flower. You see the little yellow deals hanging from that? They are about a sixteenth of an inch long. The reason most of us haven't seen a grass flower is because they're small. You have to actually slow down and look for grass flowers. They last for a very, very short period of time. Much shorter than almost any other flower I am aware of. And I think that's a part of the reason why he went back and chose this. All flesh is like grass. And it's glory like the flower of grass. It's beautiful. Grass flowers, you'll have to watch next spring. You won't get to see any more grass flowers this year. It's too late. But as soon as the grass heads out, you start watching for grass flowers. I think you should leave a section of your lawn for that. So, just to see, yeah. And see what it looks like. But it's like our glory. In the scheme of the Word and the wonder of God's Word... Our glory is like the grass flower. It's teeny tiny. It's beautiful while it lasts, but it's gone very quickly. That word of the Lord, however, goes on forever. It draws a beautiful corollary between the importance we place on our day-to-day stuff that we ought not to, and our lack of focus on the kingdom and the forever. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. If we go to James chapter one, we see as well some great stuff here where they're quoting a similar ver- or the same verse, James 1 verses nine through 11. But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position and let the rich man glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flowers fall off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So, too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuit will fade away. Doesn't last long. It's beautiful. But it's a vapor. We ought not to be focused on that. We should be focused on eternity and the word of the Lord, which abides forever. And he goes on to tell them, because this is the word that was preached to you. This is the good news. This is what we gave you to to be able to share with others. And that's the concept we need to take out of this. Is it it's great to be here, right? It's fantastic that God has given us the chance to be here on this earth. And and to partake of the beauty of his creation, things like the grass and other beautiful flowers that we see in the mountains and the birds and the wonderful animals. It's wonderful who have done that. But our focus can't be on that. Our focus needs to be on God's kingdom because that's the most important thing that we do. The word is permanent, which is distinctly different than the frailness of our flesh which is much like the flowers that fade and drop off. So we move into chapter 2 now, and we get another therefore. There's a lot of those, those transitions in Peter. There's a lot of things where we get a series of information, and then we get another series that refers back to the first series. So in verse two or chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Like a newborn's babes long for the pure spiritual milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. The therefore. So what's it there for? Do we remember? Did we just learn something? We just learn the permanence of God's word. The living and abiding word of Christ. And the importance of that. So because we are like the grass flower, which is teeny tiny. Most of us have never seen it and, and has limited impact on, on, the, on the beauty of the world. But the Word is like all the amazing things you could ever put together for its strength and its stability and, and all that. Because of the difference, because we are like the flower, but the Word lasts forever, we should focus on some very important things. The bottom line here in chapter 2 verse 1 is There is not enough time That you have here To spend so much of it Focusing on these things of the world You don't have enough time To use so much of it Focusing on those things You need to set them aside And get down to business Putting aside all malice Guile, hypocrisy Envy and slander. Malice is the Greek word for evil. Put it away. Get rid of it. It's used 11 times in the New Testament that I can come up with. And its concept is always tied to the wickedness which comes from within us. That we bring with us. And he's telling us to put it aside. Peter's saying it's time. You know it's there. Right? Do I have to tell any of you that you carry this? Is there anybody that is now shocked and surprised that you harbor evil? That if you don't constantly put it down, that it can well up within you? I don't think so. I suspect we all know what's there. We have to be moving away from it. Guile, hypocrisy, envy, slander. It's interesting. Hypocrisy, envy, and slander are all plural. They look singular as we read them, but in the Greek, they're all plural. Wow, that means we do them a lot. We didn't just do it once. It's not like, well, there's five things. And let's see, I'm going to get rid of of hypocrisy today. So I only have four more to work on. No, it's things that keep coming back up in your lives. Things that Peter's telling these guys, look, guys, these just keep coming back. We know Peter's writing to the believers. He told us that from the very beginning. And he just keeps coming back to the reality that the world has an incredible hold on us. That we aren't too keen to cut off. That we don't mind maybe just snipping back in there. We know that's the case because he tells us over and over, don't be conformed to the world. Don't conform yourself, it translates to better. Don't conform yourself to this. Don't be, don't be caught up in your former lust. Putting aside these things. He knows that these things come out in the believer's life. And we have to be really, really careful that we don't get sucked into this. Just always picture it like this, because it helps me. The mire and clay in the pit that we are in is down on the ground. Gravity works in our life still, regardless of how much we'd like it not to. But the closer we climb to the Father, the less gra- gravitational pull the mire and the, and the clay have on us. The closer we get to that and just kind of see if I can keep my foot just above it, the stronger the pull. If I'm not careful, if I'm not constantly purifying myself, if I am not fervently loving those around me, if I am not focusing on God's Word, I'm going down the rungs of the ladder. I'm getting closer to the pit. But when I am in God's Word, when I am in prayer, when I am fellowshipping with believers, when I am studying and learning from the Word, when the Spirit is working in my heart, I'm getting further and further away. And the further away I get, I don't even hardly see the pool down there anymore. That's where we need to be. And that's what Peter's trying to encourage these guys. Be careful, it'll suck you back in. Get as far away from it as possible. Don't try to see as close as you can get and still stay out. And I know that's been a struggle for me in life. I have a tendency to sometimes like to see how close I can get to the edge and not fall off the cliff. Not such a wise choice in this situation. Far better if you're hiking to do that than it is when you're playing with the issues of the world and the kingdom. So what should it look like then? We're supposed to put this away. What difference could there be? And he goes on in verse 2, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Our spiritual growth should be marked by a craving for God's Word, a delight in His Word, just like newborn babies crave nourishment through milk. Milk is the most fantastic thing for babies. It provides them with all of the key nutrients that they need when they're born. And babies want that milk. They desire that milk. They don't turn their nose up because they wanted chocolate milk or strawberry. They want milk. From their mother. That is what they yearn for. They crave it. They have to have it to exist. If they don't, what happens? If they don't get milk. Right? We know this, right? This is not hard stuff. We recognize that if you don't feed the baby's milk, they can't exist. They can't grow. They can't mature. We're the same way, but how many of us wake up in the morning craving God's Word? Craving time with God. Yearning for fellowship with believers that we might sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. How many of us wake up in the morning just not being able to get enough? We've forgotten what it was like to be a baby and crave the milk. We're way too satisfied. We pick the wrong things. To feed ourselves with. So as you know, we talked last week, we are in community group going through First Peter. So we, we preempt and, and I'm stealing stuff left, right and center from the people in our community group. And I always give acknowledgement. But John norland brought up what I thought was the most wonderful correlation that really fits with us right now in life and where we are. We get all, when you drink milk, you get not only liquid, but you get a lot of, of different nutrients. But one of the things is there's a sweetness to milk, right? So we have now added to our rapport of things, things like soda. Now, there's a sweetness to soda. So Coca-Cola is a great example. And John brought this up. And I really love this example and this correlation. Milk, if you drink milk. It, you grow up, it nourishes you, it provides what you need. If you drink Coke, you get the same sort of sweet taste and you get satiated. But do you know, you can put metal in Coke and it will eat it away? It's hardly the nutrition that we want in our bodies day by day. But that's kind of what we do. So we'll pull some things from the world, kind of like Coke. And it, nour- it nourishes us a little bit. It gives us a flavor of what we think we want, but it really doesn't sustain us. We have to be cautious with these things. We need to be craving God's Word. If we're not, there's a problem. If we're not craving that milk of the Word, we really need to step back and evaluate, why is that? What in our lives is of so import that we're no longer craving God's Word and the connection to Him? It helps us in so many ways to be nourished. The milk does. And God's word in the same as we talk about growing in respect to salvation. Growing up in our salvation. This is an interesting portion of the passage. And this, I think, is often misinterpreted. We can get ourselves into a spot with this and to to look at this. This grow up in salvation. It seems to imply that, that there is work to be done. For salvation, we read the word to work our way through salvation. I, s- I think it would be better if we looked at it from the perspective of justification and sanctification. Salvation comes by grace through faith. Period. We'll never work our way to heaven, and 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 that should make all of us pleased because it would we could spend every hour of the rest of our lives trying to work our way and never be good enough. So isn't it nice that we get the free gift of salvation? So it's The concept here is more one of sanctification. As we spend time in the Word, we become more and more like Jesus. We're growing up into our salvation. We can't work harder. I, me reading the Bible every day, Cover to cover as many times a year as possible doesn't get me to heaven. It gets me some good information, but it doesn't get me to heaven. The grace of God, by my faith in in Him, and the fact that I accept that Jesus Christ died as my Savior, that gets me into heaven. However, when when a baby is born, they're they're not mature. Babies aren't born capable of taking on the world. I hate to break it to you, but even when we get older, we're not capable of taking on the world. But we sometimes think so. The whole concept here is we're growing up into our salvation. The salvation is there, but we're being sanctified. We're maturing. We're changing. We're showing more and more the genotype of God in us. Because we come, become more and more like Jesus Christ. And that's just such a pretty perspective. So, Recognize this is not a works-based issue. It's not something that we spend time in the Word in order to be saved or, or to justify our salvation. But because we spend time in the Word, we get to know God better and we become more like Jesus. And through that, we grow up in our salvation. Do you notice the difference between those two? There is a significant difference. We don't read the word to become sanctified. We read the word to know God. And as we know God, we become sanctified. It seems similar. It's significantly different because we. it's, it's a workspace perspective to go to read the word. So, look, for instance, if you all go home tomorrow or tonight and you say, well, good, I'm convinced... And I'm just going to read this, cover to cover to cover to cover, back and forth and, and, and over and over and over. But you have no desire to meet God in that. It's not going to help you. You're not going to get anywhere with that. You have to desire to meet God in this and to spend time meditating. You notice when it go, talks in the Word, talks over and over about meditating on the Word, spending time in the Word. It doesn't talk about the ability to how many times you can read through it. You know, it's not as if when you get to heaven, you're going to say, well, I made it through 83 times. Oh, you're in. 82 was a cutoff. It's not that. The concept is getting to know God and communicating with Him. And he finishes off in verse 3, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. It's another if. Notice the ifs here. So this is an interesting one, because in all reality, in one sentence, we have a therefore and an if. So that doesn't happen very often. So the therefore is because your life is like a vapor and the word abides forever. You need to set these things aside. There's not enough time. And as we finish off when we talks about then like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, the graciousness. Of the Lord it 's an interesting thing. We are, I think, as people often very much creatures of habit. How many of you will go to your, your favorite restaurant and order the same thing every time you go, regardless that there are thirty other things on the menu? yeah that's right. We are creatures of habit. We find something we like, and, and we go back and we get it over and over. And over again it 's this concept here: what happens with us we 're good at that in the world we 're good at that in the day to day thing. What about that with God? What about here we 've tasted the kindness, the graciousness of God. What keeps us from going back? What keeps us from spending our time there? you know what what 's stopping us? Why are we holding back on this? What, what is it with us and, and why are we struggling with that? What, what is the roadblock between us and living our lives here every minute of it for our risen Savior? Why are we there? Why do we allow the things of the world to step in and to get such a hold of us? Why is it we're not like babies you remember back when you first became a believer? Most new believers are, have a voracious I'm sorry, a voracious appetite for God. They are insatiable. You can't give them enough. They're in every Bible study. They're in everything that goes on. They can't get enough. Where is it in our lives? that we lose that appetite? Where is it that we lose that desire and that yearning? Why is it that when we read through this and we recognize, because you all nod your heads with me today, why is it when we recognize the need for the yearning that we don't go home and cultivate it? Why is that? And I'm right there with you. I'm not looking out because I got it nailed and you are all in sorry shape. It's me too. Why do I not spend every opportunity getting to know my Savior better? Why am I so concerned about the world? So where are we? What does it look like when you go from here today? What's it going to look like? We have the opportunity today, right now, to rededicate, to fire up our old insatiable appetite for God. Through his word, through fellowship, through his spirit, through all these things. We have the chance to do that. You you, you can't walk away from here without hearing that. You get the opportunity to, to take a step away from the miry clay that encapsulated you before you were His. You get the chance to get a rung higher on the ladder today. You have the opportunity to take a step and move forward. Where are you? And what are you gonna do? Are you there? Are you purifying your soul? Are you spending time in the Word? Are you fellowshipping? Are you, are you focusing on the things of eternity or are, you, or are you spending all of your life trying to hang on to that wilting grass flower? What's it look like? Are you fervently loving the brethren? You know, there are places that it may actually be a challenge sometimes to love the brethren. It isn't here. Man, you guys are lovable people. It is astounding. It is such a blessing. To be part of a body like this. I mean, just to, on Friday night at community group, just to see that and to see this here. It's, we are so incredibly richly blessed as a body. Many of you have been in other places where you haven't seen it like this. We are blessed. There should be none of us that aren't fervently loving because everybody's so doggone lovable. It makes it easy. Right? We ought to be practicing and getting so good at it in this body that when we walk outside of this, the world cannot control the love that it feels from us. Because maybe they're soon to be part of our body. We fervently love in the body. I think a lot like we were why like we worship. We're practicing. We were practicing. We fervently love in the body, and practice for the minute we step into the world. So we can love the people. Because right? there are a lot of people that desperately need to be loved. And how does, how does the Bible say people will know us? That we're Jesus followers. Because we dress well. We have the fanciest cars in town. We live in cardboard shacks. No, he says they'll know us by our love. They'll know us because they'll recognize us through our love. Practice here. Get good at it in this body and take it with you. Take it out. It's fantastic. Are you longing for God in his word? When you wake up in the morning, when you drive down the road during the middle of the day, when you're getting ready to go to bed at night, are you yearning for God? Are you desiring that relationship, that time with Him? Or are you conforming yourself to the world? Are you practicing rather than love malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander? What does it look like? I'm realistic enough to know that today my life will not be perfect in the sight of all fervent love and longing for God. But my hope is for me and for all of you that we will see steps in that direction as we move towards God and away from the world as far as being mired in it. Not away from the world from the perspective that we aren't with the people, loving them, encouraging them, sharing the gospel with them, but rather we are not ensnaring ourselves to the world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is a major blessing to get a chance to open your word. I am so grateful for how you continue to teach me and you continue to show my failings and my issues. Lord, I know that I have struggles. I know that I spend way too much time seeing how close I can get to the mire. Yet, Lord, I desire, I yearn for a closer relationship with You. I want, Lord, to have a deeper relationship with You. Would You please help me to do that? Would You please help us to do that? Would You not leave us where we are? Would You not allow us, Lord to reach for the world, but rather to reach for you and bring the world along with us. Lord, there are so many who need you. I just I just pray that you can help me to be a person who who lives a life that that they look at and desire you because of it. Lord, I, I just want to be holy because you are holy. I want to yearn for the pure spiritual milk of the word because You have died for me, and that you ransomed me with your imperishable blood. Lord, I want to be the man you need me to be, and I want everyone in our body to be the person you need them to be for your kingdom. Please, Lord, I beseech you, do not let us settle for anything less. Bring us to yourself. Change us. Radically, if necessary but do not let us be the same tomorrow as we are today. But rather, Lord, help us to be more holy and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. We're going to transition to a time of communion now. This is, this is a neat time. We are blessed as believers to have This time of communion, this opportunity to remember what Christ did for us. So what a befitting place as we talk about how he redeemed us with his blood to remember him. Communion is there's nothing magical about what you're going to do today. There's nothing magical with the the juice or the bread. Uh, It's a heart issue. Communion is about your heart and where your heart is. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the cup, is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come." We don't turn it into anything different. It doesn't turn us into anything different. On the other hand, though, Paul tells the Corinthians to be careful as you partake of this. If your heart is not right, if there are issues in your life, issues in your heart that you need to deal with, deal with them now. There's an issue with one of the body members. Deal with it. Fervently love them and go to them and do that. He goes on to say, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of us remembering what Christ did for us on the cross. And we're going to go ahead and have just the time, just sit back, spend some time in prayer, come up and and take the... uh, the juice and the bread and, and partake of them when you're ready. And then we will join back together in a worship song at the end.